as well. It says, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it all at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young man. The young men got up, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. Now, we're going to stop there. Story goes on. We're going to come back to it. But as we look at this story this morning, and and we, again, think of the early church. We think of their successes. We think of the faith, the purpose that they had, the service that they had, the people they had around them. One of the people that you'll read in this story is Barnabas. And, and, and the example that Barnabas gave them, Barnabas was known as a, uh, the son of encouragement, uh, the son of exhortation. In other words, he was one who was willing to serve. Uh, Barnabas was one to do what was asked of him. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. So they had, they had people before them that were demonstrating what it means to live a Christ-like life. And so they had that, but in any situation or any group of believers or in any church, one of the things we fight is unbelief and cardinal or cardinal living. You see, those are things that we must fight, unbelief and cardinal cardinal living, because those two things hinder God's work from going forward. And so as we think of that, in a church or in a fellowship, you know, we've all gotten used to in the day that we live in today, we're constantly, one of the things that we do is we're checking to see if people has a temperature, you know. Uh, between washing our hands and, 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 and taking our temperature, we, we say, I don't have a fever, but we take our temperature, because in some places, even if you have to go to the doctor, what are they going to do before they let you in? They're going to take your temperature. They're going to take. I've always thought about this, but how do you take the temperature of a church? How do you take the temperature of a church? And to me, part of this passage of Scripture is talking about that. And when I think of the church, I think of people. I think of us. I think of individuals who gather together to worship God. And what's our temperature? Some people say, well, preacher, what does it need to be? Well, we know in, in life what our temperature needs to be. I'm talking about a human life. If, if you've got a temperature of 98.6, people say what? Doing good, right? Healthy. If you've got a temperature of 104, what do they say? Go straight to the hospital, Okay. Now, if you've got a temperature of 89, dead. (laughs) 
But what about the church? And, and, and think of the church or think of a group of people. Do you think everybody in the group of people have the same temperature? No. No. And so in the life of a church, unbelief comes up. Cardinal living comes up. And we find here in this situation with Ananias and Sapphira, people said, well, was it the property that got him in trouble? You, you know what got him into trouble? They lied to God. They lied to God. Now, how do you feel in general when you know someone is lying to you? How does that make you feel? When you know someone's lying to you. Now, I've also seen people, and my wife is one of those. I, I, I tell you, I felt sorry for the school kids that, that Kathy had when she was teaching school and, and, and even as guidance counselor. She could call them. She knew when they were lying. I think it's a school teacher thing. She knew when they were lying. She could call them out in a heartbeat. On a few occasions, I would be standing there, and I thought, well, you know, that's pretty good, you know. Boy, she didn't buy it for a second. And I just, you know, I knew to keep my mouth shut. You know, I, I, I just stood there, and boy, she'd call them out, and she was right. Now, I, I, even today, I'm, I'm sure you could lie to me, and I probably would buy it. But, 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 but there's some people that what? You know, they, boy, they can tell. Well, think about it. Lying to God? Is that a, think about that. Is that a smart thing to do? <laughs> now, a few years ago, I say a few years ago, some of us that, you know, in our 60s, <laughs> there was a time, there was a time, for some of you, can, you will relate to this, there was a time you wouldn't even lie to your parents, would you? Because you knew that if you lied to your parents and they found out the wrath of God, would come down upon you. That might mean a belt that was the size of Texas coming along. Whoa! You know, DCF, that wasn't even in their minds then. They take a branch. To us, it looked like a tree and whip the tar out of us. But you know, lying today. A lot of times people say, well, preacher, people lie today. Just part of life. Is that acceptable? Lying? You, I've heard the phrase that said, Preacher, if that person, all that person knows is to lie, they wouldn't know the truth if it bit them. Lying. And then for us to think, is it okay to lie to God? And thinking that we're going to get by with it. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, we find that Ananias and Sapphira sold the processions with the thought of giving the money to the church. Great, wonderful. They were following the example of Barnabas, who we'll, you read down further, where Barnabas had a piece of property. He saw what the disciples and others were doing and the church, and he sold it with the, with the only intention was to give all the proceeds of that land to the disciples, to the church, and say, hey, use this to reach people for Christ. So Ananias and Sapphira was following the example of Barnabas, but what happened? 
The problem was, you find in verse 2, is that they kept back part of the money that they had promised to give. Now, you say, well, preacher, it was their land. Exactly, it was their land. But the problem was, is that they said they were going to give it all to God, to the work of God. They said they were going to give it all, but instead they kept some, but they kept the perception that they were giving it all. Boy, that, you say, man, that, that was wrong. But what about us today? When we think of that, we say, Lord, I'm giving you everything. <laughs> Even in life, and, and we say, Lord, I, I, I'm living my life for you. I'm giving you all, but what is all? Promises. Never make a promise you cannot keep. People today, a lot of times you say, well, you know, that's just the way it is, preacher. You got to understand, we're going to say things, but, you know, we won't keep them all, but we'll keep most of them. Is that where we've come? We've come to the point that we can lie and it's okay, that we can give promises, but not really intend to, what, keep them? You see, there's a problem occurring. But one of the things that I see throughout this passage of Scripture, if you look at verse 3 of chapter 5, it says, Ananias, Peter asks, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? One of the things that it reminded me here is that Satan tempted Ananias and Sapphira. As a church group, as a group of believers, as, as individuals, as Christians today, let's not forget Satan can tempt any of us. None of us are excluded from that. You say, oh, well, preacher, I'm on a committee. I'm excluded. Well, let me tell you. Be on a committee. Be a deacon. And I think you'll be tempted more. You see, again, we need to realize that Satan is still tempting people. And he tempted Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied to God. Now, God revealed this to Peter, and Peter called him out on it. We need to be reminded that, that even today, Satan is still tempting a lot of individuals and, and us. Let's not forget, Satan even tempted Jesus. Let's not forget that. And he, he'll tempt us. You say, oh, well, it won't be that bad. Yes, it is. We'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of John, chapter 8. John, chapter 8. John chapter 8. Go down to verse 44 of John chapter 8. Kind of give you a little description of Satan. This is what Jesus said. He said, you are are of your father the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he tells a lie, he speaks. See, we we need to, to be reminded that Satan is the father of lies. We need to be reminded of that. Another verse I want you to look, I, I passed it up a moment ago, but in Proverbs 12, 22. Proverbs 12.22, it says, Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people 
are his delight. Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. You see, hypocrisy, fraud, pretenders. We need to see that Satan is tempting and, 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 and he's tempting us to, to say, well, we can do this and it's okay. God hates a lying tongue. Now, I, I call on Preston. He's told me this story. I don't know if it's actually true, but, but I love it when he, t- he tells it on himself because uh, he He's a little animated. He, you know, Preston get a, get a little a- animated. But, but Preston tells me the story sometimes about his mother washing his mouth out with soap. That's very true. That's very true. You know, can you, do you remember that as a kid? Yeah, getting your mouth washed, not in a step. No, 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 no. You know, Preston's mom believed in it. You know, and and, and we know what. No, no. But but you know. God hates a lying tongue. Even our parents, as they were raising us, knew the dangers of lying. And knew that as an individual, as a child, as a person, you know, as we were growing, that what lies could do in our life. And so even our parents, you know, would, would work very hard in showing us and say, Hey, you're just fooling yourself. If you just get into this lying and allow it to become a habit and, 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 and lean on this because it shows you're not leaning on God, you're leaning on Satan. And, and, and our parents tried to show us and teach us character. And, yeah, sometimes we got the Board of Education to remind us, you know, of, of, of not telling a lie. But, again, lying lips are detestable to the Lord. We need to be reminded that God hates that. We also need to see that all lying. Some people say, oh, well, preacher, that's just the way it is today. Lying is part of life. I think that's what Satan has us to believe today. Lying shouldn't be part of life. But we need to see the importance as we live our lives. We need to make sure that we're not, some would call it, double, double living. I don't know if I put this on the screen, but in Luke 6, if you want to turn there, verse 46, Luke 6, verse 46, look at that verse, Luke 6, 46, I'm looking for it, it says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do the things I say. You see, it's talking about a double life. It's talking about living life one way, but saying something else. And and even the Lord is saying, why do you call me Lord? And don't do the things I say. It's it's a reminder to you, a reminder to me, of of how we need to be careful that, that if we say this is what it is, then that's what it is. We, we need to be careful that we're not living a double life, that we're living for the Lord. We need to be careful that, that being a hypocrite is not just part of life. In 1 John 1, 6, it says, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not pretending or practicing the truth. You see, we need to be careful that, that we're not... Uh, Living or saying one thing and living another. Another thing that that happens sometimes is that we blame others for our faults and failures. 
say, oh, well, it's because of this and because of that. Or, or we stretch the truth. Now, here's something to think about. Is stretching the truth a lie? I don't get it. Well, preacher, let's, you know, it, it's kind of, it's gray. Well, let's just say it. Stretching the truth is a lie. If it's not true, then it's false. We, we need to see the importance of, of what we say. Does it match up what we're doing? The problem is that fear comes upon us, and God has a way of, of looking at our lives. You know, I talked about school teachers a moment ago. So, some, I tell you, some school teachers, you know, they're just able to look at a child, and boy, they can they, just, they know everything that's going on. Parents have that ability, too, sometimes. I want you to go back to Acts chapter 5. Go down to verse 11 in Acts chapter 5. It says, Then great fear came on the whole church, on all who heard these things. Now, you know why great fear? Because right after Ananias died, Peter did what? He brought in the wife, asked her the same question. And she died. Now, either that's going to make a great revival in the church or, or, or people are not going to want to come to church. Fear. Look at verse 11. Then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. They had heard that two, quote, prominent members had died right there in the church. Fear came upon the whole church. Verse 12, many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else, no one else dared join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers and multitude of both men and women. You see, even with the fear, even with the bad news, they kept the faith and they preached and people came to know the Lord. As we look at this, we see that, that even though something very bad happened, but what it also shows what God can do. The many signs and wonders that were done, the power of God working in people's lives. Sometimes we do need something to remind us of just sliding by or just Bending the curve is, is well enough. But I believe in that mix. And as, as they were at the colonnade and as they were preaching, they were those who were unbelievers. And as the, the preaching, they, as the preaching was being done, they felt the presence of God and they were converted. You see, Peter was so filled with God's power that even down in verse 16, let me just read it, verse 16 of chapter 5. It says, in addition... A multitude came together from the town sur surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let me go up to verse 15. It says, as a result, they would carry the sick out of the streets and lay them on the cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The shadow. You see, the church cannot grow 
when there's sin. The church can't grow. Let me tell you, you and I can't grow when there's sin. We can't grow. The church can't grow. We as individuals can't grow because of sin. And we need to see that God, being as loving as as he is, will judge us of our sin. God is going to call us on our sin. No, maybe maybe one of your parents, you know, I, I'm sure growing up, you know, you say, well, you know, I've got mom pretty well conned, but dad, uh-uh. Or maybe it was vice versa. Or maybe at school you say, well, I've got this teacher conned, but this one, uh-uh. They're going to call me out. They're going to call me out. Can we con God? Or why would we want to con Because is God going to call you out? Let me tell you something. There will always be someone who will call you out. Always. God's going to call us out when it comes to sin. No matter what it is, God's going to call us out. And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, it says, For the time has come for judgment, to begin with God's household. And if he begins with us, What will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? Let me tell you something. God is going to start with us first. Churches, you know, we we need to see that it's time for God's judgment to begin in his household. And as it begins, the outcome And bringing us where we need to be. And if a person is saved or brought back closer to God, it was worth it. But what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You see, when Christians live right, when Christians live right, I believe, sinners will be converted. Why? Because we know in this small town... People are watching us every day. They're watching us. They're already in their minds have a, an idea of what we're made up of. But they're watching us. When Christians get right, sinners will be converted. And so that's why we need to look and, and pray, God, please come into our church and show us our sins and show us the areas that, that are not right or areas that we've convinced ourselves it's okay to do, but, but Lord, we know it's not right. It's kind of like praying, Lord, let revival begin with me. Begin with me, Lord. And when we're willing to allow God to begin that work in us and and people see that, oh, what a witness. You know, at times we do have too many frauds and phonies and pretenders and charlatans and hypocrites. But it's time for all of us to come to the cross and kneel. And say, Lord, here am I. Lord, we come to you today asking this in prayer. That, Lord, you would do your work in our life. 
And, Lord, that you would work in such a way that, Lord, we would feel your presence. Lord, we're all tempted. And at times, Lord, we have allowed Satan not only to tempt us, but we've heeded and done what Satan wanted us to do. Lord, may we see that we need to repent of our sins. And, Lord, may we see the importance of allowing you to be that righteous judge. Lord, we just ask that in your son's name.